Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me once again as guest curator is fellow Pantheon Podcast Network mate, Jason Whistle, host of the It's Not That Bad and There Can Only Be One podcast. Jason, welcome back to the show, man. Oh, dude, thank you so much for bringing me back. I'm This is my, what, fourth time now on the show, so I, I feel like I have a timeshare, so it's time for me to come back and visit. <laughs> a series regular, if you will. <laughs> Well, first, I'd like to start by thanking brand new Patreon mixtaper Tom Hutchinson, because he suggested the theme of this week's episode, which is 90s Canadian artists. So, Tom, first off, thank you so much for joining the Patreon mixtaper family, and I look forward to our future music discussions in the forum as well as on the show itself. And if anyone listening wants to suggest themes for future episodes, visit the My Weekly Mixtape Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash My Weekly Mixtape. Now, 90s Canadian artists. I don't know. As soon as I decided to pursue this episode after Tom and I talked, you immediately came to mind because A, we always have a great time talking music and B, you kind of have home field advantage for this one, eh? Well, I don't know how many times I've been on your show and I feel like I have to apologize because my Canadian starts to show with some of the picks, even going back to (laughs) Playlist Wars and the songs of 1991. I think I did whatever I could to make sure that I mentioned certain Canadian artists and I'm sitting there looking at my list from that 1991 episode. I'm like, there's a lot of Canada on here. I might not want to put them all in, but I guess this is the one episode where I have zero shame in my Canadian show. And I've got my poutine, I got my Joe Louis and my ketchup chips. We are ready to go. Well, as someone who grew up with much music and a slew of Canadian artists that may not have crossed the border into the U.S. tonight, which is where my picks and choices are going to be coming from that mindset. How hard was it for you to find a focus for the songs you're bringing to the table tonight? You assume that I'm ever really focused, but the interesting thing here is that (laughs) squirrel, that squirrel. (laughs) But the funny thing is when you think about the nineties, I was in a band playing in the nineties, an original band. And I was very fortunate. I had the opportunity to open up for certain bands like junk house and rusty. So some of my influences, of course, are going to go into, you know, that, era but at the same time i was also doing a lot of djing as a freelancer so i had a lot of music that was you know not necessarily from rock in my cd collection because i needed it because people wanted to dance and apparently not everyone dances to the music i listen to harem scarum but you know um (laughs) i'm just saying i'm just saying i freaking love harem scarum you just can't dance to them but yeah so i wanted to get a good cross section and be ready for pretty much anything well I am coming from a place of tons of research and tons of, huh, I didn't realize they were Canadian moments over the last month (laughs) that I've been preparing for this episode. So I'm really excited to see how many times I surprise you with my Canadian music knowledge and how many times I'm kind of on the nose. Well, it's funny because when you think about some of the past episodes on your show and on There Can Only Be One where you've been a guest on we pretty much have a good idea of our each other's musical interests. So I'd be curious to know if you have guessed what my first song is going to be. Well, I assume nothing less. It's going to be Celine Dion, but let's pause <laughs> for a minute 
and get down to business before we get to that first pick. Tonight, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Jason and I will be curating a 90s Canadian artists mixtape, and we'll use the old cassette deck approach. Jason, as my special guest, will begin side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up that choice. We'll then flip-flop choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for side A. We'll then give our mixtape the proverbial flip, and we'll map out side B, only this time I'll kick things off with Jason choosing second. Our overall goal for this episode is to craft the best 90s Canadian artists mixtape possible through only 20 songs. At the end of the show, you can take our conversation to the next level by visiting the episode page at myweeklymixtape.com to give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend, leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or like I mentioned earlier, becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. And a few of the Patreon mixtapers chimed in with songs that they would use to kick off tonight's episode, and I want to give a shout out to a few of those. Tom Hutchinson, the person who requested this week's topic, chimed in with Bare Naked Ladies' Old Apartment. Chad LaMassa chimed in with Econoline Crush's Hollow Man. Cactus Pete chimed in with Rush's Virtuality, Bare Naked Ladies' One Week, and Snow's Informer. Seeker chimed in with the Tea Party's Fire in the Head, the opening track from their 95 album, The Edges of Twilight. And Philip Bergman chimed in with Our Lady Peace's Potato Girl. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So with that, Jason, I'm officially pressing the record button on our mixtape, and the floor is yours. What song did you choose to kick off side A, Celine Dion? Uh, you would think, but as we were talking, you know, before recording this episode, as a Canadian, we apologize for Celine Dion and Brian Adams on a regular basis, like it's our job. So, no, Celine Dion is not my first pick. There were some really good songs in that list from the Patreon mixtapers, especially from Chad Lamassa, who chimed in with a Conaline Crush. I was really fortunate to be able to open for a Conaline Crush a few years ago uh, with my band, the freaking Lola's. They were so much fun, and I freaking love the Devil You Know album. 
but I, I was flip-flopping between a couple of songs to start this tape with. And then I was scrolling through X and I saw a post that you put up today. So you inspired my first pick. Oh. Off the album Bionic, I'm going with Sandbox's Curious. When this album came out, I could not get enough of it. And there's a little bit of Canadian royalty in there because the singer is actually the cousin of Anne Murray. Now, the reason why your post actually inspired me is because you put a picture of yourself with bubbles from the Trailer Park Boys <laughs> on X. Take a look at the video for Curious very closely and you'll realize that the guitarist from Sandbox is Bubbles from the Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> yeah, I simply had to reply with that photo because mixtaper David Owens chimed in using a Bubbles gif, and I thought it would be funny to reply with the photo saying, I think he sees otherwise. <laughs> but Sandbox is a great band. They have that quintessential 90s indie power pop sound. That kind of bleeds into alternative rock, but doesn't necessarily lean into it heavy. It was kind of a 95 to 99 type thing where in the U.S. you had bands like The Refreshments and New Radicals. You had Super Drag, Fountains of Wayne, all of these kind of power pop sounding bands. And Sandbox fit right in with that vibe. And I love that so, so much. That's a great pick to start this off. Well, the other thing, too, is they came out around the time that there was a lot of music coming out of the Maritimes. Of course, you had Sloan being one of the bigger artists. And you had Eric's Trip and Jail and the Super Friends and some really, really good Maritime-based bands that did. They had that power pop. And it was around this time, too, that Trouble Charger was also getting really big as well. Like I cannot stress how important 1990s much music was to anyone who grew up in that era and their music tastes. If you go on Spotify and you look up Big Shiny Tunes, that was the CD collection that Much Music would put out every year. And someone had made a playlist of all the Big Shiny Tunes tracks. And it was a like if you DJed, if you liked music, period, you had Big Shiny Tunes CDs in your collection. Well, thinking of something that might be on one of those Big Shiny Tunes CDs, I'm going to lean into this power pop a little bit and go right to the end of the decade and go with a legacy artist. Well, he had the touch that Jacob Dylan from the Wallflowers had as his father was rock royalty. And in 1999, and Tal Bachman, who is son of Canadian rocker Randy Bachman and nephew of Robbie Bachman of Bachman Turner Overdrive, put out one of the... I'll say it, one of the greatest power pop songs of the 90s, and that is his massive hit, She's So High, which if the song name sounds familiar, it was featured in the American Pie movie, so it had that touch to it where people kind of associate the song with those late 90s kind of teen comedies that were so huge at the time, and for punk fans out there, Four Years Strong in 2009 on their Explains It All album covered this song in a pop punk version, which is absolutely awesome. But the original is so infectious. This is the type of song that you knew was going to be a hit regardless of who his parents were. But as soon as I heard the name, I'm, I wondered to myself, is there some kind of relation here? And sure enough, there was. And this song is just... I'll say it, it's it's a perfect power pop song. So I think following up Sandbox is curious. I'm going to go with Tal Bachman, She's So High. There were certain songs when they came out on the radio that kind of tested your ability to sing along with them because they were hitting pretty high notes. And this coming from a guy who listens to a lot of Dream Theater and early Queensryche, I'll fully admit, there's no way, even in a falsetto, I'm going to hit those notes. She's So High is not that bad as far as, as you know a higher register goes, but it was definitely testing my ability to sing along with it in the car. <laughs> but knowing that, I think I know where I'm going to go with this one. And I'm going to go to the opposite end of the vocal registry spectrum here. I'm going to go low. I'm going to go low. 
with the dulcet tones of Brad Roberts harmonizing with Ellen Reed. I'm going to go with the crash test dummies and I'm going to go with the ghosts that haunt me. A, it's a wonderful song. Absolutely wonderful song. When those first albums came out, like you think about Superman song, it was such a iconic song for them. And A, I love the fact that they're still out there playing. And yes, admittedly, if you weren't singing along with mm, well, you knew all the words anyway, so you were fine. Ghosts That Haunt Me, though, just had such a fun, almost, I almost want to say a Celtic vibe to it. And again, there was a lot of those maritime Celtic vibes that was going on in the 90s as well. You know, not necessarily out of Sandbox, but there were a lot of bands like Spirit of the West, Ashley McIsaac, Melanie Doan, that all had those maritime Celtic influences into them. This definitely had that as well. Well, you scooped me on the band. There was no way we were getting through a 90s conversation and not talking about crash test dummies. I had mm, 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 in my bank. That was the massive hit in the U.S., the one that was the go-to song, the one that Weird Al parodied in headline news. That's the one that really hit big for me. But that entire album, actually everything the crash test dummies did in the 90s was epic. One of those bands that I think is at least from the U.S. perspective, severely underrated. I'm not sure if they have more of a footprint in Canada than they do here in the U.S., but severely underrated here. Well, that's always the surprising thing is bands that are huge here and never get any play in the States. I had Jesse Jackson on from the Set Lusting Bruce podcast on to There Mm -hmm. Can Only Be One, talking about Bruce Springsteen, of course. And he was mentioning that someone introduced him to the Tragically Hip, which is literally Canada's house band, basically. And he had (laughs) never actually heard them. And, you know, every documentary about a Canadian band, the pinnacle is always, when do they break it in the States? For Rush, when do they make it big in the States? For Triumph, when do they make it big in the States? What's the state that broke them? You know, for Rush, it was Ohio. For Triumph, it was Texas. Aside from that, though, sometimes we kind of like to keep bands to ourselves, I guess. I don't know. But Crash is Dummies, <laughs> it does surprise me that they didn't make it bigger on college radio in the States. But I also exactly. understand it as well. Well, following up the Crash Test Dummies, I think I'm going to go back even further and go with what is definitely a legacy artist. Because in the 90s, there was a resurgence of 70s artists that were still putting out music in the 80s, but then had moments in the 90s that almost seemed bigger than anything they had done. In the 80s. First and foremost, I think back to 1993 and Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell 2. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. The song was just massive and truly introduced an entire generation to both Bad Out of Hell 2 and 1 simultaneously because a lot of the people our age didn't know Bad Out of Hell unless our parents played it. Along with that, you had obviously my favorite artist of all time, Tom Petty. Full Moon Fever was the 80s, but he carried that into the 90s with the insanely successful Into the Great Wide Open, then his massive Greatest Hits album, followed by Wildflowers, like Tom Petty's 90s outputs among some of the best he's ever done. And then you had Eric Clapton's 1992 Unplugged concert that introduced that new version of Layla that was originally by Derek and the Dominoes. So artists and bands from the 70s We're having a resurgence in the 90s and falling in neck and neck. And this artist is definitely one that did it throughout the 90s. Canada's own Neil Young, who released insanely killer albums in the 90s between 1990s Ragged Glory, which contained the song Effin' Up, which is something that Pearl Jam took into their repertoire and have been using live for many, many years. And then speaking of Pearl Jam, you had 1995's Mirror Ball, which featured the band and the Merkin Ball single. So you had that collaboration. But I'm going to have to go with coming out of the crash test dummies, the beautiful follow up to 1972's Harvest. And I'm going to go with the title track, 1992 Harvest Moon. Because at this part of a playlist, we've got a few songs we could take it down and kind of get a little mellow for a track. 
And I think this is the perfect example of that. I did mention that I DJed a lot back then. Guaranteed, Harvest Moon got played a lot when it came time to, all right, people want to slow dance now. I know exactly what to put on. It's just such a soft, soft song. And when you watch the video too, the video is the perfect setting for it. Almost like a barn dance. And Mm -hmm. again, another song that much music really catapulted. Like people don't today, like right now you want to watch a music video, you go on YouTube. It's whatever, right? The idea of entire hours dedicated to specific genres and because you had to fill that what was called CanCon content. So the CRTC would make much music and radio stations hit a what's called a CanCon quotas and X percentage of every hour had to be Canadian artists. So that's why you had a lot of these you know up and coming bands getting played a lot as well. There was something called Video Fact, which was a government grant that was allowing up and coming artists in order to be able to access funding to create videos to help promote their music and help get them on the road. Not that Neil Young needed Video Fact, but I'm just trying to put it out just how important much music and Video Fact were in really shaping the landscape. Had it not been for much music, Harvest Moon would still would have been a great song and still would play it on radio, but not necessarily every single radio station. That was the key thing, right? If you like country, you were going to listen to country radio. If you liked rock, you were going to listen to rock radio. If you liked music, period, full stop, you were watching much music and you wouldn't mind watching, you know, shows like Rap City and The Power Hour and The Wedge and getting a lot of different music thrown at you. And it really broadened your horizons rather than being stuck in, for lack of a better term, a genre hole. By all means, and Neil Young definitely crossed that barrier in the 90s. His relationship with Pearl Jam really solidified him as an icon in that grunge alternative space and yet harvest moon definitely lent itself to like the end of the night album i always called it you were leaving a party and you just wanted something mellow to listen to on the way home but it had to be good and let's be honest and if i'm being honest with myself neil young's harvest is probably my favorite album of his of all time and harvest moon is the perfect bookend to it so i just think it's an amazing album that could have been released in the 70s, could have been released in the 90s, and could have been released yesterday and just still checks all the boxes. So it's a timeless song for me as well. But now I'm throwing it back to you to follow that up because I know that takes us down several notches. (laughs) So I'll be curious to see how you kind of bounce off this one. I thought we might end up kind of in this side of things because Neil Young was always going to be an option that was thrown in. So I, I was ready for this one. I was fully ready for this one. And I'm going to go all the way back to 1990 and Blue Rodeo's Casino album and the song Trust Yourself. I don't think that there is any other band that was able to not just walk that line between country and pop, but literally dance on both sides of it and be accessible to both country and pop music fans. Blue Rodeo is just a stupidly, stupidly talented band. And Jim Cuddy's voice is, no matter what he's singing, it's solid. If you've ever heard the song Try, Jim Cuddy's voice is the song, period. But trust yourself, genre-wise, it fits with Neil Young, but it does bring the tempo back up a little bit. I love the fact that you mentioned the connection to country music, because... Blue Rodeo definitely is one of those bands that you could rock on both a country playlist as well as a rock playlist, and neither one seems out of place or out of touch. They just have that definite crossover appeal, and I think I have the perfect song to come out of that, and I'm going to go up one year to 1991. Now, this song was a massive pop rock hit. However... Country music sunk its teeth into it. And in 1998, Chris Ledoux recorded a version for his One Road Man album. And then a few years later, Rascal Flatts brought it back 
and then some for the Cars soundtrack. And I am going to go with Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway from 1991's Mad Mad World. You could not escape this song on Top 40 Radio for all of 1991. And to this day, when Colburn and Company plays, we open up with this drum beat. People immediately pep up. It's just one of those songs that raises eyebrows. And we've talked about this in the band. It's a great song. And I think... Because there's not a lot of country bands in New Jersey. There are some that incorporate country into their repertoire, but there's not a ton of country music artists that are out playing nothing but country songs here in New Jersey. Life is a Highway is just one of those songs that seems to be pleasing both sides of the audience because the people that listen to country know Chris Ledoux and know Rascal Flatts. So they're pulling from that version. And then the rock people are pulling from Tom Cochran. So I think this is a nice fit coming out of Blue Rodeo because it leans into that. Is it rock? Is it country feel? So life is a highway. If I told you that almost guaranteed at any given time, if you tuned into a pop or a rock radio station, every hour you were going to hear life is a highway. You're just Canadian at that point. It it doesn't matter who you were, (laughs) what province you were in, what territory you were in. That song was getting played ad nauseum to the point that you were nauseous after hearing it. Now, so many years later, we like it again. It's okay. We're good with it again. But it was. It was one of those songs that got played so much. It was literally like the biggest song of the year and justifiably. So like it's, it's an absolute for lack of a better term. It's a bop. It's a bop. Yeah. But I think I know where I'm going to go with this one. I'm going to go back another year, back to 1990 and a band called the Northern Pikes vocal harmonies completely on point. And I'm going to go with a song that's actually in my band's current or my cover band set list she ain't pretty. It has this very hippie, hippie shake kind of rock bar kind of feel to it. It's so much fun and almost self knowingly just has a bit of a laugh. And, you know, if you haven't heard the song, by all means, go have a listen to pretty much anything from the Northern Pikes off of their Snow and June album. That album was huge. I had like about three songs from the Northern Pikes. I was like, whichever way we're going to go, I'm going to squeeze a Northern Pikes song in there because, again, their vocal harmonies are always on point. Jason, I knew this moment was going to happen at some point in this episode, and it's happening now. And I think it's really, really cool because, believe it or not, I haven't heard anything by the Northern Pikes. And I am so excited to finally get one that I'm like, ooh, something to dig into. So now, because of the power of podcast editing, I'm going to snap my finger and come back and know exactly what song he's talking about. And with the snap of a finger, we're back. And I now am familiar with the Northern Pikes. Jason, this is actually kind of cool because you get to hear my first impressions of the band and their music, which is a first on this show. And the first thing I'll say is you hit the nail right on the head. Hippie, hippie shake. That is a classic barroom stomp blues rocker. For me, I immediately think of Georgia Satellites. Keep your hands to yourself, which is definitely a little slower, but it's one of those Eddie and the Cruisers on the dark side. Well, that's actually John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. But for all intents and purposes, it's Eddie and the Cruisers. But I digress. This is a barroom stomp kind of song. And I absolutely love it. And I'm now going to be searching for this album because I just totally dig this vibe. So thank you, sir. You introduced me to a quote unquote new to me Canadian artist today. And I absolutely think that's amazing. Well, they have a number of albums and they are still actually putting music out today. There, like I said, some of the songs that I was thinking of bringing in, some of them actually didn't qualify because their Big Blue Sky album was released in 1987, so that eliminated their big song, Teen Land. The other big album that I really wanted to talk about was Neptune, their 1992 release, because if you like She Ain't Pretty, Twister also has that same vibe, that same hippie hippie shake vibe, but there's a few songs on there like Believe that it's just, and Worlds Away. Like The Northern Pikes, while they didn't hit as big 
as a you know of a name hit as like a Tom Cochran or a Bare Naked Ladies musically in the 90s they could not be beat at least again that's personal opinion <sighs> looking through my bank of songs i don't have a lot of canadian barroom stomp blues rock kind of stuff however i'm going to put on my cover band cap for a minute and as somebody who also plays in a cover band you'll understand where my mentality is going to head with this next song choice, the Northern Pikes gets everybody up on the dance floor. She Ain't Pretty is very much kind of like that masculine type barroom stomper. Is that a safe assumption? Having played that song live? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's balance that scale a little bit and bring something in from a female perspective that certainly keeps the women up on the dance floor dancing. And if the women are on the dance floor dancing, chances are the guys are too. But I'm going to follow the stomp of the barroom stomp. And mixtaper David Owens is about to start celebrating his ass off wherever he's listening. Because I am going to go off of 1995's The Woman in Me, Shania Twain, Any Man of Mine. Now, at this time, I was in college in North Carolina. Shania Twain broke with this song. It was all over radio. Hell, Cletus T. Judd, who was like the country version of Weird Al Yankovic, did a parody of the song, If Shania Was Mine. This song was everywhere. I would have to safely say that at least a few years went by. This is, again, going back to the 90s when we couldn't just Google something instantly and get an answer. There was a good period of time before people realized that she was a Canadian artist. Everything she did with Robert Mutlang on these albums really spoke musically to the country music scene at the time. And she was such an it person. I'll go ahead and say it. Shania Twain was the Taylor Swift of the 90s especially in the U.S., and I still feel like she holds on to a piece of that because she went from a country sound that you heard on Any Man of Mine and then slowly morphed it into stuff that was easily accessible on both pop and country radio. So I didn't think we'd get through tonight without talking about Shania Twain. I didn't know how I'd fit it in, but coming out of the Northern Pikes from a cover band perspective, Any Man of Mine. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we Canadians, we apologize for Celine Dion and Brian Adams on a regular basis. We do not apologize for Shania Twain. We gave her to the world. You're all welcome. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny. Anytime, you know, and you probably recognize this. Anytime you go out and you play at a show and there's always someone who wants to hear a song that maybe you don't really know how to play. And you do your best, and maybe in between sets, to try and quickly learn it and kind of hash out a version. We were playing in Kitchener, Ontario, and some guy came up to us and he's like, do you take requests? And we're like, well, if we know it, yeah, sure, maybe we can figure it out. And he says, I really want to hear some Shania. I'm like, okay, okay, what Shania song? He's like, I want you to play, man, I feel like a woman. It's my song. And I'm like, dude, that's your song. Okay. Really, really wanted us to play, man. I feel like a woman. We had to learn it in a very short span of time and dude lost his ish. Like this was very much a, we've got 15 minutes in between sets. Let's very quickly figure out how to play this song. We probably butchered it, but it actually ended up in our set list and does not matter the club that we play in that song man, I feel like a woman is going to get people on the dance floor dancing. No matter anything Shania Twain does really is going to get people on the dance floor. It's you can't deny she was, and probably still is one of the biggest country stars out there. The fact that she's out and touring again, I was wondering if Shania Twain was going to come up and then I was like, okay, I know where I'm going to go after Shania Twain, because there was this story about Shania Twain playing the show and bringing up this young girl from Napanee on stage to sing with her. And that girl was Avril Lavigne, but Avril's albums came out after 1999. So I couldn't actually go there, but I know where I'm going to go with, and I'm going to go with Halifax, Nova Scotia's Melanie Doan 
off of the album Adam's Rip. I'm going to go with the title track. I mentioned that a lot of the maritime artists had a very Celtic feel to it. And Melanie Doan's uh, Adam's Rip album had a lot of violin work on it. The entire album, if you like female singer-songwriters, this album is a must listen to and it got played a lot not just on the radio but her songs off of this album ended up in shows like party of five baywatch buffy the vampire slayer brothers and sisters resurrection boulevard like that album hit everywhere and if you want some good middle of the road not like feels but like medium tempo violin influenced singer songwriter Pop rock, this album is must listen to. Adam's Rib by Melanie Doan. What a great pick. I am familiar with her stuff from Party of Five, but Adam's Rib, this is kind of like at the time now, I'm thinking, this is kind of like Canada's answer to Cheryl Crow. Would that be a good comparison at the time where musically this was headed? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, aside from being a phenomenal songwriter in her own right, her brother is also a drummer, Creighton Doan, and has done a lot of work with Harem Scarum, who, of course, I try and squeeze in every possible chance I get whenever I get to talk about music. Harem Scarum is one of those bands that, when we covered them on There Can Only Be One, I realized, holy crap, there's 15 albums of Harem Scarum, and just a wonderful collection of music if you're into that. But Melanie Doan's stuff is also so, so good. And this album, I swear to God, I had it on repeat, like, in my discman, as I was, you know, commuting to and from work, it hit on every, if you, whatever you like, there's a song for you on this album. And that is how I'm going to follow it up. We had Shania Twain, we have Melanie Doan, and I get to end side A. So I'm going to go with an album that in 1995, I could not turn off and I could not stop listening to. Now, for me at the time, this was a brand new artist that just so happened to be on one of my favorite Nickelodeon shows growing up. However, to you and the rest of Canada, this was her third album, but to (laughs) the United States, Jagged Little Pill was the introduction to Alanis Morissette. And because it's the end of the side, I just want to go home and end the side with a banger that offsets Sandbox is Curious. So we'll go with You Ought to Know, the song that she closes every show with, the song that introduced this new version of Alanis Morissette to Canada and Alanis Morissette to the rest of the world. Obviously, I could pick anything off of Jagged Little Pill. My favorite song from this album is actually Mary Jane. I know that's a little bit of a deeper cut, but that one always hit with me. I saw the Jagged Little Pill tour in a facility in Raleigh, North Carolina with about 500 people. The band Loud Lucy opened up with Alanis Morissette. On drums for Alanis Morissette, Taylor Hawkins. And they played basically the album front to back. And I fell in love with Alanis as an artist. I fell in love with Taylor Hawkins drumming. Like everything about it was perfect. A year later, we were seeing her at an arena with garbage opening for them. You can't talk about a Canadian's impact on rock and pop music in the 90s without talking about Alanis. So closing out side A, Alanis Morissette, you ought to know. And you ought to know she was going to make this playlist. (laughs) Well, it's funny too, because Alanis and I both grew up in Ottawa. So we got to hear a lot of those first two albums when they first came out. Of course, she sang the anthem at the very first Ottawa Senators home game where they actually beat the Montreal Canadiens and then proceeded to have one of the worst records that entire NHL season. So yay, I guess. But you know, (laughs) but the funny thing is when that album came out, we were so used to hearing her dance stuff, you know, never too hot and plastic. And then all of a sudden this album comes out like, whoa, what the hell happened? I'll agree with you that while you want to know is a good song, my favorite one off that album, one I actually had on my list. So you kind of scooped me on this one was Forgiven, which ended oh, one of the great. Oh, so good. My wife, Carrie, and I actually recently went to go see the Toronto production of Jagged Little Pill. And if you have not had a chance to go see this stage play, go see it. It takes 
a lot of her music and reimagines it into the story to the point of I would love to see this play. And Carrie mentioned this on a recent episode of Keep Watch Pass. We would love to see this play get the Hamilton movie treatment where they just tape the stage play rather than turn it into um, a scripted movie. And because it is so well done. Been on my list to see. I can't, I'm hoping to make this year the year I check it off my bucket list. And I'm also hoping to make this year the year that you stumble across those first two albums for me because they're up in Canada. <laughs> I can't find them in all of my hunting here in the U.S. So I got to throw you on a mission. I need to find Alanis's first two albums on CD. So to my friend up in Canada, maybe you can make that happen for me this year. I'm going to have to put together a, like a Canadian care package. There'll be some Northern Pikes in there. There'll be some Alanis. <laughs> We'll get a few in there for you. Rock and roll. And that, folks, closes up side A of our ultimate 90s Canadian artists mixtape, which kicked off with Sandbox is Curious, Tal Bachman, She's So High, Crash Test Dummies, The Ghosts That Haunt Me, Neil Young's Harvest Moon, Blue Rodeo's Trust Yourself, Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway, The Northern Pikes, She Ain't Pretty, Shania Twain's Any Man of Mine, Melanie Doan's Adam's Rib, and Alanis Morissette's You Oughta Know. Head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Now, before we flip our proverbial mixtape over to side B, Jason, why don't you catch everybody up on what's been happening over at It's Not That Bad and There Can Only Be One because you had mentioned something a little earlier about some new additions to your family of pods. Yeah, we are, are growing the shows. It feels exponentially at this point because we have two new shows that are kind of out there. On It's Not That Bad, on Mondays, you now get what's called Keep Watch Pass. And if you've ever played Mary Boff Kill, and I'll say it that way because, you know, we don't want to hit the censor button. It's kind of the same theory. Well, we'll take a topic and we'll pick three movies. One that you would keep, one that you would watch, and one that you would pass on. Obviously, you kind of get the idea of how that goes. But then over on There Can Only Be One... There's that new show that's coming every other week to fill the gap because it takes a while to go through some of these discographies and we have to fill in. You know, you all deserve more than a show every two weeks. So now on the off week, you get a show called Spin Shuffle Skip. Same theory. One album, three songs. One that you would spin anytime. One that if it comes under and shuffle play, yeah, all for it. And one that you would actually hit the skip button on. Not necessarily that it's a bad song, but sometimes you do have to pick one. Sometimes you want to pick the whole album, but that depends on the album. But the nice thing about Spin Shuffle Skip is that it allows us to tackle artists that don't have the five album prerequisite that we use for There Can Only Be One, but it also allows us to talk about soundtracks as well. So there's going to be a lot of different artists that we're now going to be able to talk about that we weren't able to talk about before. And you know, Brian, that we're going to have to drag you on there for a few episodes. Well, I've already sent my list of like 25 or 50 <laughs> albums over to you, and you know I've been wanting to talk the interrupters for quite a while oh, here, yes. so I can't wait to make that happen. Well, don't worry. We're going to get the calendar up. We're going to schedule that one in. That's going to happen. Amen. And now we're going to flip things over to side B and I get to kick things off. And you know what? I'm a sucker for album opening tracks. And I know you and I both have this band in our list, along with Patreon mixtaper Cactus Pete, who also mentioned these guys. And I have to be the scooper on this one. Because just a few weeks ago, episode 52, we did the Ultimate Rush playlist, and I get to go back to Rush. Of course, we're going to talk about Rush, but I am going to go with the opening track from 1993's Counterparts, and I'm going to go with Animate, one of my favorite 90s Rush tunes. This album kind of came at a turning point for the band because music was changing at the time. This was in the 90s and you were ushering out that 80s sound and ushering in this new grunge and alternative sound. And Rush has always been a band that was able to follow 
Actually, I don't want to use the word follow. They were able to respond in a rush way to where the music scene was headed. So in the 80s, when synth became more popular, they were able to evolve their sound to include that, but still remain distinctly rush. And now in the 90s, when that was all getting stripped back, they were able to do the same, but not strip it back to the 70s sound include where they came from throughout the 80s and turn it into something that was once again distinctly Rush. And we talk about it more on episode 52. So if you're a Rush fanatic, I highly suggest checking that episode out. But man, there was no way we weren't talking about Rush. I knew it was happening. I apologize because I probably scooped your closer, (laughs) but... We got to get some animate love in there. And, you know, it's kind of fitting because it's the opening track on side B of our playlist and it's the opening track on Counterparts. I will say that you did scoop me on band, album and song on that one because animate might (laughs) actually be like at some point there's going to be a rush that can only be one. And I will say that animate is a very strong contender for my only one of their entire studio discography. That song, that album, that whole album animates a great song. Admittedly, nobody's hero was the bigger single off of that one with this wonderful video that was done in black and white by Matt Muhurin, who did a lot of work with Queensryche at the time, because that was around that empire time as well. So mm-hmm. the video had that very, uh, another rainy night without you kind of feel to it. So the fact that that song was getting a lot of airplay introduced a lot of us to the song animate the minute we picked up that album. Coming off of Roll the Bones, too, it was such, there was a, for lack of a better term, there's a lot more hair on the balls on this album than there was on Roll the Bones. Oh, they stripped it down for Animate, and that's what I love about it. It's that guitar sound that people were missing from, I will say, all the way back as far as moving pictures. Oh, yeah, this this was the goodbye to the synth era kind of feel, and definitely led into Vapor Trails afterwards very well. I know where I'm going to go with this. And I've been hoping that I get to say this band's name because I still have the mindset of a 13-year-old boy and it makes me giggle. And I'm going to go with another opening track from the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. (laughs) And if you don't know who the Rainbow Butt Monkeys are, they had one album out. The album was Letters from Chutney. Yep, yep. But Rainbow Butt Monkeys, shortly thereafter, changed their name to Finger Eleven. So this is the very first ever Finger Eleven album. The song is called As Far As I Can Spit. And this album, A, the fact that they were called the Rainbow Butt Monkeys may be one of the worst slash best names ever in music history, (laughs) but it's so good. And recently, as old as like five years ago or so ago, they reunited, quote unquote, as the Rainbow Butt Monkeys and performed this album at the Sound of Music Festival in Burlington, Ontario. So fans of Letters from Chutney... They got served, but I'm going to go with as far as I can spit. Love it. Love it. Love it. One of the greatest. I, I Honestly, I'll say it. I like the name better than Finger Eleven. And if you Google Rainbow Butt Monkeys right now, you're getting Finger Eleven as your first search result. Like they're kind of synonymous. And I love the fact that you went with that and not one of the Finger Eleven songs, because that's really kind of going back deeper into the band's history. And that is definitely a piece of the Canada side of the band that I discovered after discovering Finger Eleven in the U.S. I can just imagine people calling up and trying to say with a, with a straight face, yeah, can you play some Rainbow Butt Monkey? <laughs> Again, Brady with 13-year-old boy, I apologize. Not at all. I love the pick. I love the song. And I know exactly what I'm going to do because we are going to start side B with a trio of album opening songs. I have a feeling I'm scooping you again here because we're leaning more rock. So this is where I start to think, ooh, I'm definitely probably picking songs that you probably have in your immediate hit list. And I want to give a shout out one more time to Patreon mixtaper Philip Bergman. He chimed in with Potato Girl, but I am going to go with Our Lady Pieces album opening track from Clumsy, the killer Superman's Dead. This song, the first time I heard it, I said, this rocks like no other. And there was this groove to it that almost echoed Lakini's Juice by Live. 
there was this kind of swagger and groove to the song that was both heavy and you bobbed your head to it. And I had a chance to see Our Lady Peace, Oleander, and Creed the night before Human Clay was released at Irving Plaza in New York City. And when they played Superman's Dead, they tore the roof off of Irving Plaza. I absolutely love this track. So following up the Rainbow Butt Monkeys, can't believe I said that, <laughs> Our Lady Peace, Superman's Dead. Talk about songs when you sing along in your car, like we did with She's So High. Oh, you know. The stuff he's doing with the ow, ow ooh, like that's <laughs> that's not easy to hit, but it's so amazing. Love this track so much. And right now, every Canadian is sitting there going, <laughs> I will say you scooped me on the band, but all the songs that I had in my back pocket were all off of the previous album, Navid. Which I figured. Yeah, because especially because the bass tone on that album was like, you listen to that first song, or uh, Navid, the title track from that album, and the bass tone on it is so nasty and tasty at the same time. So completely agree that OLP needed to be on the list. But the question is, where do I go from there? You know what? I'm going to stick with the bass tone idea, even though Superman's Dead isn't exactly the bass tone song for them. But you're going to get a twofer on this one. The song is called Earth, Sky and Sea from the phenomenal band I Mother Earth. But yes. here's where the twofer comes in. Because doing a little bit of the guitar work on this song is Mr. Alex Lifeson from Rush. This song, as a bassist, you're going to completely geek out on this because there's a ton of slap bass on this. There's a phenomenal breakdown in the middle of the song. It closes the Scenery and Fish album. And this was actually the last album before Edwin went off to do a solo career and they had to change singers. Now Edwin's back with I Mother Earth. So we're all good there. Things are back to normal. Earth, Sky and Sea, I think, is my favorite song from their entire discography. I think you and I are on the exact same page there. It is my favorite song from them. As soon as you said the song name, I'm like, we're going with some Alex Lyson here. All <laughs> right. I love it. Fantastic song coming out of our Lady Peace. I love the, dare I call it, almost tribal-like opening to the song before the funky rhythm kind of kicks in. It really kind of eases you into this track. And this is a, a longer track. This is seven minutes. This has got a lot to digest, but it's all so damn good. The challenge here lies in the fact that this is an album closing track, and it's pretty friggin' epic. It's kind of hard to pivot off of but i'm going to do my best and try to pivot us a little bit because this kind of you know we got that little prog kind of tinge going through here a little bit but we haven't brought any female artists onto this side and i feel like we need to do that the one thing's for certain with i mother earth there's an energy to this song that's undeniable and i think that's what i'm going to tap into for the song i'm heading to next so I'm going to kind of lean a little bit towards the latter half of the decade and go back to 1998. And I would call this artist Canada's answer to garbage and Republica. And I'm going to go with Biff Naked and Spaceman from Ibificus. To me, that was such a essential sound of the 90s, this Rock fused with a little bit of dance, fused with a little bit of punk thrown in for good measure. And it created this sound that was very much a moment of the 90s. And to me, listening to Garbage's I'm Only Happy When It Rains into Republica's Ready to Go into Biff Naked Spaceman just works as a vibe. So I know it's a little bit of a pivot here musically, but the energy is what I'm going for here. And that simply can't be denied. Spaceman from Biff Naked. Oh, I mean, Biff Naked, A, just cool as hell. Absolutely cool yep. as hell. And that album, like, oh, Lucky Ones off that album is such a phenomenal ballad. And then, of course, doing her song, I Love Myself Today, you know, shortly after that, again, phenomenal, phenomenal Holy crap, where do I go from there? I think I know where I want to go from there. Oh, no, I know I know exactly 
where I'm going to go from there. Maybe you haven't heard this artist yet, but we're going to stay in the female rock genre. And I'm going to go with Holly McNarland off of her 1997 album stuff. And I'm going to go with numb the lead track off of this one. It was a harder, not, not necessarily hard as far as like metal goes, but a harder, rawer kind of rock singer songwriter kind of feel. Um, she's been compared to a Lance Morissette and Fiona Apple as well around that time. So if you're looking for another good, and this is her debut album and it blew everyone away, at least her debut major label album. I should, I should point that out. This is definitely one of those artists that I wonder how in a world where the cranberries were so massive, she did not gain as much appeal in the U S because that is definitely more an artist that I feel like stayed in the Canada space more than actually making the jump into the U S. Oh, I mean, that album, that stuff album had a lot of not necessarily like linger cranberries kind of feel, but songs like salvation and zombie. That was the kind of feel you were getting off of this album. It, it was raw. It was in your face and you couldn't escape just how good that album was. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lean into an artist following up Holly McNarland and Biff naked. I'm going to, we're going to do another trio of the ladies on side B as well. And I'm going to go with a song that, depending on where you were, you discovered at different times. Oh, if you were from Canada, you discovered this song in 1993 on one album. And if you're in the US, you discovered it in 1994 on another. And that song is called I Would Die For You. The artist is Jan Arden. And in 1993, it was released on her Time For Mercy album. However... 1994's Living in June was how I discovered the track because it was a bonus track on the international version of the release, meaning in the U.S. I Would Die For You is not on Canada's version of Living Under June as it was a hit a year earlier from Time For Mercy. But when they were making a push with Jan Arden and Insensitive in the U.S., they included this song on living under June. And to me, it's just a gorgeous, beautiful nineties acoustic tune. It's very dreamy. It's very, it's very sweet. It's delicate. It's just a beautiful track. And I felt like we had that with harvest moon on side a, so I kind of wanted to give us that moment here on side B as well with Jan Arden's, I would die for you. Jan Arden is one of those stupidly talented singers and now she's transitioned into more of a tv career uh, as opposed to the singing career but yes when she was out there you know when you think about some of the artists that are out around that time artists like holly cole and nor jones jen arden really kind of fit into that era of singer songwriter i know exactly where i'm going to go with this and it's right in your wheelhouse because it's a cover song all right one of the biggest female Canadian artist in the 90s is also the person that helped put together the Lilith Fair, and that's Sarah McLaughlin. So off of her 1996 EP, Rarities, B-Sides, and other stuff, I'm going to go with her cover of Ecstasy's Dear God. It was <sighs> so good. Now, honestly, anyone who's got this album is going to sit there and say, oh, that's the one with I Will Remember You. Because we've all heard I Will Remember You. But it's her cover of Dear God that really sold this album for me. And yes, there's a remix of Possession on there. Yes, there's a remix of Into the Fire and some of her bigger songs from previous albums. But this cover, better than I Will Remember You. Maybe it's because it's overplayed, but I'm all for it. Man, four female tracks in a row and they're all incredible. And you hit me with the cover. I absolutely love it. But I feel like Jan Arden and Sarah McLaughlin's Dear God kind of bring the vibe down a little bit. And we've only got two songs left. So we need that cover band moment of we're nearing the end of the night. Let's get everybody up and back out on the dance floor immediately. And I think I can do that in nine words. 
I am going to echo Cactus Pete with this one. It's been one week since you looked at me. Bare Naked Ladies, 1998 stunt. Inescapable, no matter what country you were in. This was the song that truly launched Bare Naked Ladies into the stratosphere musically. Now, I know that Tom Hutchinson chimed in with Old Apartment. I could have easily went with if I had a million dollars here especially coming out of Jan Arden and Sarah McLaughlin. But I feel like I wanted to pick the party back up and not lean into the more mellow half of the side. So yes, it's a total record scratch moment, but hell who knows? Maybe you'll close things out with snows Informer now because of the weird way I took this, <laughs> but I got to go with, I mean, come on. When you talk about songs, that's fun to try to attempt to sing along with. This is one of them. Again, you think about the movies like American Pie. This song was synonymous with those movies. And it's just, I'll say, it, it's just so much friggin' fun. The song never got old to me. I, I could hear it a million times, and it always puts a smile on my face. It always makes me happy. And, yeah, that's the, as my last pick of the night, Bare Naked Ladies One Week. It always baffles me that it took that long for the bare naked ladies to make it big in the States. Because I remember when the yellow tape came out and this was in 1991 and you know, everyone was hearing if I had a million dollars. And of course that also had be my Yoko Ono and Brian Wilson on it. Um, mm -hmm. And of course this is also around the same time that they did their cover of Bruce Coburn's um, lovers in a dangerous time. Yes. Everyone, everyone I knew had the yellow cassette especially because it also had their cover of fight the power. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they were pulling off those kind of covers, phenomenal. And Gordon, the minute Gordon came out and hit the stores, like as a DJ, I was playing those songs every night. Like I actually had old apartment and Enid both on my list because anything off of Gordon was going to, was, was definitely going to be uh, called for. And again, from a Canadian perspective, it's fascinating that it took one week to hit and of course now anyone who watches reruns of the big bang theory gets their bare naked ladies kick every episode because of course they did the the theme song i'll say this bare naked ladies was a college radio staple up until one week one week is the song that put them into the mainstream overnight in the u.s at the time I was in high school during, if I hadn't, we were all familiar with it from the college radio stations in the area, but mainstream radio fell in love with them at one week, at least here in the U S coming off of one week and you wanted to pick things up. And I normally, you know, me, I like to kind of land the plane softly when we get to the end of the Celine cassette. Dion. No, not Celine Dion. We're still not doing Celine <laughs> oh, I Dion. Feel, I feel bad because the Celine Dion fans listening are going to be mad at us. You realize. <laughs> well, this cassette will go on. Um, but <laughs> 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 I had volume two. <laughs> oh, no, trust me. I have enough songs for volume two. So if we ever get back to this, absolutely. I think I know I'm going to end it. I had about three or four songs that were earmarked for the ending. But I think I'm going to go with a song that's, again, in my band's set list, that if we're not ending the night with Sweet Caroline, we're ending the night with this song. So allow me to quote, you'll have to excuse me, I'm not at my best. I've been gone for a week, I've been drunk since I left, and these so-called vacations will soon be my death. I'm so sick from the drink, I need home for a rest. From Spirit of the West. And I feel like it works well because we started off the cassette with more of that uh, maritime Celtic kind of feel. This song, it entered our set list because we needed something to play for a St. Patrick's Day show. And then we saw how people absolutely lost their ish every time we play this. This is the ultimate party drinking song if you are Canadian. And if you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. To me, Spirit of the West is kind of ending the night on a Dropkick Murphy's end in the Massachusetts, Boston area. It has that same vibe. They're cut kind of from the same cloth, and it's definitely a raise your glass and everybody singing along at the top of their lungs kind of track. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely brings the same kind of response as a shipping up to Boston would, would for sure. 
And again, it's just one of those ones where people are going to lock their arms and spin around in a circle on the dance floor and probably spill a lot of beer and make the floor really sticky as we load out at the end of the night. Not not complaining, not complaining, maybe complaining a little. But again, <laughs> you've got the Celtic feel, you've got the maritime sounds, and still to this day, because remember, this song came out early 90s as well. To this day, it still gets people on the dance floor. Perfect way to close things out tonight for Side B, which kicked off with Rush's Animate, Rainbow Butt Monkeys, As Far As I Could Spit, Our Lady Peace, Superman's Dead, I Mother Earth, Earth, Sky, and Sea, Biff Naked Spaceman, Holly McNarland's Numb, Jan Arden's I Would Die For You, Sarah McLaughlin's Dear God, Bare Naked Ladies One Week, and Spirit of the West, Home for a Rest. Head over to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to hear all the songs we've discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Jason, once again, it's always a pleasure having you on. Why don't you remind listeners where they can connect with you and check out It's Not That Bad and There Can Only Be One. Well, Brian, thank you again so much. And thank you to the Patreon mixtapers that chimed in with their songs and for suggesting this because you got a Canadian up here who likes to talk about Canadian music. So that's okay. If you want to find It's Not That Bad, where we review bad movies, at least critically panned movies, not saying they're bad because the show's not, it's not that bad. You can find us on social media at Not That Bad Cast. That's where you can also find Keep Watch Pass. For the music shows, there can only be one and Spin Shuffle Skip. You can find us on social media at Only One Cast, or you can find it all at our website, NotThatBadCast.com. Well, Jason, this is always a pleasure. Thank you again for joining me and looking forward to our next crossover, which will probably be happening, I don't know, next week or something. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. The plate is set at the table for you. We're good. Remember, Mixtapers, you can find My Weekly Mixtape on almost all the social media haunts at My Weekly Mixtape. You can also head to MyWeeklyMixtape.com to check out the full catalog of My Weekly Mixtape episodes. And finally, if you like what you're hearing on the show, you can help me out by either telling a friend leaving the show a five-star review wherever you're tuning in, or becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.